Our lead pastor, Brad Sutton, is on a much-deserved vacation with his wife and family. He asked me several months ago if I would be willing to share this morning, and that is a complicated question to answer, especially for me. Um, whenever Brad reads through a passage, his takeaways are a little bit different than mine. And I don't mean that we land in theologically different places, just that whatever stands out to him stands out to me a little bit differently. But we believe that the Bible was meant to be read in community, that it's good to have different perspectives, and it's good to um, hear someone else's point of view, and that's why I love our discussion group so much at the end. So if you're new, don't worry, you get to participate. <laughs> Um, so thank you guys for allowing me the opportunity to share what's on my heart this morning. Let's pray together. Jesus, we love you. And I thank you so much for your word. I ask that you would be the gatekeeper of my mouth, that what comes forth would come only from you and not from me. And if there's anything that isn't from you, it would fall away. And it wouldn't be what people remember, Father. But I just ask that um, your word would transform hearts this morning. And I thank you for allowing me to be part of that in some small way. It's in your name we ask, amen. So when Brad said he was going to do a nine-week series on Deuteronomy, I was super excited. I was like, this is what the people have been clamoring for, super relevant text. It's um, really gripping. We're, we can't wait to dive into it. No, that's, I'm just kidding. Um, I think what I actually said was, why in the world would we do that? <laughs> Um, but I'm really glad that we decided to do it. We're nearing the end of our nine-week series that we've been calling Laying Down the Law. Um, I historically have trouble with this thing, so we're going to see what happens. My trouble is different than Brad's. We're just going to give it to God. <laughs> if you've been following along with us in our reading plan, we've been going through the entire book of Deuteronomy. We haven't yet gotten to the passages that I'll be covering this morning, but that's okay. You'll be going through them this week. I believe it's this week. Um, right now, you're reading the laws. It's a very detailed account of what God expected his people um, to be doing, how he wanted them to treat one another, and how he wanted to be portrayed to the nations around him. Last week, Brad talked about the blessings and curses that came along with following this covenant. Um, this morning, that we're going to be expanding on that a little bit and talking about the inevitability of their failures. So if you'll turn with me to Deuteronomy 30... Um, we've got quite a bit of ground to cover. Um, three short chapters, no worries, that's <laughs> fine. Um, there are Bibles on the tables um, that are kind of spread out throughout the sanctuary, and um, I believe it'll also be on the screen behind me. Theoretically, if this thing works, that's what will happen. Um, so we have Deuteronomy, we're going to start at, um, there we go, chapter 30, verses 1 through 10. When all these blessings and curses I have set before you come upon you, and you take them to heart wherever the Lord your God disperses you among the nations. And when you and your children return to the Lord your God and obey him with all your heart and with all your soul, according to everything I commanded you today, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have compassion on you and gather you again from all the nations where he scattered you. Even if you've been banished to the most distant land under the heavens, from there the Lord your God will gather you and bring you back. He will bring you to the land that belonged to your fathers and you will take possession of it. He will make you more prosperous and numerous than your fathers. The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart and with all your soul and live. The Lord your God will put all these curses on your enemies who hate and persecute you. You will again obey the Lord and follow all his commands I'm giving you today. 
Then the Lord your God will make you most prosperous in all the work of your hands and in the fruit of your womb and the young of your livestock and the crops of your land. The Lord will again delight in you and make you prosperous as he delighted in your fathers. If you obey the Lord your God and keep his commands and decrees that are written in this book of the law and turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. The Israelites knew that if they followed his commands, they would be blessed. They understood that if they did not, they would face destruction and they would be scattered. But even in their destruction, the Lord goes a step further and promises that wherever they are, when they return to him and obey him with all their heart and soul, then he will have compassion and bring them back from where they'd been scattered. He promises to circumcise their hearts and the hearts of their descendants so that they may love him with all their hearts and their souls and live. This is the problem with the law. It doesn't change their hearts. Certainly they can follow the rules, but that doesn't change the core of who they are. It doesn't make them into the kinds of people who want to follow God, who love and value following his ways. When my oldest two kids were little, I have no idea how this happened. I can't remember the origin of it, but somehow they believed that I could see through walls. They didn't just think that like this might be possible because mom always tends to know what we're doing. They 100% believed that I could see through walls. Um, as it turns out, we just had a really small house and I knew my kids and they're pretty predictable. And I had a keen sense of hearing. It's pretty easy to figure out what you're doing in the other room. But I use this thought process to my advantage, absolutely. Um, Ellie told me this week that she believed I could see through walls for an embarrassingly long amount of time. <laughs> Like, she wouldn't admit how long. <laughs> um, I would hear them at other people's house say things like, we can't do that, our mom can see through walls. Yeah, I felt like this was an effective way to keep my kids in line, and it was right up until they realized that my sight was limited to the room that I was standing in. It may have been an effective way to force them to do the right thing, but it did not change their desire to obey. It didn't turn them into the kinds of people who wanted to do the right thing all the time. They still wanted to break the rules, and they did kind of with mixed success. It didn't grow a deep abiding love for me. The Israelites were a lot like my kids. Moses had given them the law. They knew there were consequences if that law was broken. And with Moses there to keep an eye on things, it was easier for them to stay in line with mixed success. But the law did not change their hearts. It didn't change them into the kinds of people who wanted to follow the Lord in his ways. Jesus even addressed the Pharisees. Oh, let's see if I put this on here. Nope. Jesus even addressed the Pharisees in, um, let's see, Mark chapter, 5, I'm sorry, Matthew 15, 8, and said to them, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teaching are merely human rules. He was quoting Isaiah 29 here, but we do the same thing. We're good at talking like Christians, playing the part, putting on this facade that looks real good when the situation calls for it, but the Lord can actually see through the walls of your heart and knows what lies beneath. If our hearts are not for him, true obedience will never come. Our hearts must be set on God alone. So we're going to continue on into Deuteronomy 31. I want to, there's a lot of text to go through, but, um, but hang in here with me. It's really, really good. Um, we'll start at verse 14. Um, sorry if you already changed that. I have no idea. Thanks, Evan. You got me. Um, the Lord said to Moses, Now the day of your death is near. 
call Joshua and present yourselves at the tent of meeting where I will commission him. So Moses and Joshua came and presented themselves at the tent of meeting. This is just an aside, but you guys should look into who Joshua was. Most people know him as the man who scoped out the promised land and said, yeah, we can totally take it. But he was like Moses' right-hand man from the beginning. He was with him on the mountain when God gave him the law. He's an incredible man of faith. Whenever Moses would meet with the Lord, he would stay after in the tent to just soak in the Lord's presence. Anyways, that was an aside. Um, So the Lord appeared at the tent in a pillar of cloud. The cloud stood over the entrance to the tent. And the Lord said to Moses, you are going to rest with your fathers. And these people will soon prostitute themselves to the foreign gods of the land they are entering. They will forsake me and break the covenant I made with them. On that day, I will become angry with them and forsake them. I will hide my face from them and they will be destroyed. Many disasters and difficulties will come on them. And on that day, they will ask, have not these disasters come on us because our God is not with us? And I will certainly hide my face on that day because of all their wickedness and the turning to other gods. Now write down for yourselves this song and teach it to the Israelites and have them sing it so that it may be a witness for me against them. When I've brought them into the land flowing with milk and honey, the land I promised on oath to their forefathers, and when they eat their fill and thrive, they will turn to other gods and worship them, rejecting me and breaking my covenant. And when many disasters and difficulties come upon them, this song will testify against them because it will not be forgotten by their descendants. I know what they are disposed to do even before I bring them into the land I promised them on oath. So Moses wrote down this song that day and taught it to the Israelites. This passage is kind of hard. It makes everything feel futile. Up until this point, The Lord told Moses that if you keep my commandments, you will be blessed. And if you don't, there will be these negative consequences that Brad talked about last week. But now God is telling Moses that these people will thrive in the promised land and then absolutely turn to other gods. They will forsake the Lord and break the covenant he made with them. And these consequences are going to be disastrous. What's interesting here is this part about turning to other gods. They're an agrarian society, so everything depends on the health of their livestock, their crops, infant survival rate. In the verse we read just previously in chapter 30, God specifically addresses these issues. Let's look again at verse 9. Then the Lord your God will make you most prosperous in all the work of your hands and in the fruit of your womb, the young of your livestock, and the crops of your land. The Lord will again delight in you and make you prosperous, just as he delighted in your ancestors." The Lord promises that he will make them prosperous in all the ways that they would look for their success, which makes what we read here in chapter 31 so shocking. Let's read 20. When I have brought them into the land flowing with milk and honey, the land I promised on oath to their ancestors, and when they eat their fill and thrive, they will turn to other gods and worship them, rejecting me and breaking my covenant. It's when the Lord prospered them, when their troubles are in at an end, that they turn to other gods. And what are those gods known for? Fertility. They will worship so that their crops might grow tall, so that their livestock might be plentiful and their children abundant. God's people were about to gain success because of the covenant they made with them, and then they would fix their eyes on the gods of the nations surrounding them. A little Yahweh plus, right? What you gave me was good, What if we made sure these other gods had a chance to, like, offer some more protection? But we do the same thing, don't we? A little Yahweh plus, a protection insurance policy. 
So the Lord tells Moses to write down a song and teach it to the people, and that will be a witness against them. If you're making a deal with someone, you know they're going to break that deal. So you write a song about it, which is interesting. What would that song sound like? Would it be a reminder to them of what that deal was? Would it be a plea for them to change their minds? Perhaps um, a warning to them to not break it. This song is the song of Moses. And um, Moses has a couple other songs recorded in the Bible. The first is in Exodus 15, when he recounts them crossing the Red Sea on dry land. The next one is in Psalm 90. And both of these are beautiful. They're poetic praises to the Lord. This one in Deuteronomy 32, which is basically the entire chapter of 32, is a little bit different. It takes up most of the chapter. We won't read the whole thing. I'll summarize. We'll read some of it. Um, I would love to read it all, but it's like 44 verses, and your mind will wander. But it starts out, <clears throat> it's, it's really the story of how the Lord found them and made them his people. And then in verse 15, it switches into a prophetic where instead of recounting what he's already done, he's talking about what's going to happen. Okay, so let's read um, 32, 15 through 21. Jeshurun, Jeshurun is Israel. That's who we're talking about. Grew fat and kicked, filled with food, and became heavy and sleek. He abandoned the God who made him and rejected the rock, his savior. They made him jealous with their foreign gods and angered him with their detestable idols. They sacrificed to demons, which are not God, gods they had not known, gods that recently appeared, gods your fathers did not fear. You deserted the rock who fathered you. You forgot the God who gave you birth. The Lord saw this and rejected them because he was angered by his sons and daughters. I will hide my face from them, he said, and see what their end will be, for they are perverse generation, children who are unfaithful. They made me jealous by what is no God and angered me with their worthless idols. I will make them envious by those who are not a people. I will make them angry by a nation that has no understanding. From here, it moves into the ways that um, the Lord will come against them to destroy them. There's calamities, there's arrows, famine, pestilence, plagues, wild beasts, vipers, swords. There's lots of terror. It's pretty intense. But he promises that he won't completely destroy them in order that the nations that surrounding them would know that it wasn't their strength that brought the Israelites to waste, but that Yahweh had brought this on them because of their faithlessness. But my, my favorite part of this whole thing is verses 34 through 39. Have I not kept this in reserve and sealed it in my vaults? It is mine to avenge, I will repay. In due time, their foot will slip. Their day of disaster is near and their doom rushes upon them. The Lord will vindicate his people and relent concerning his servants when he sees their strength is gone and no one is left, slave or free. He will say, now where are their gods, the rock they took refuge in, the gods who ate the fat of their sacrifices and drank the wine of their drink offerings? Let them rise up to help you. Let them give you shelter. See now that I myself am he. There is no God beside me. I put to death and I bring to life. I have wounded and I will heal and no one can deliver out of my hand. I grew up in the church, and somewhere along the lines, I don't know if it was taught to me or if I just kind of absorbed this thought process, but I acquired the concept that the God of the Old Testament was harsh and demanding, lacking in understanding and mercy of any kind. 
And then when he sent Jesus to set us all straight, it was like Jesus shared with God some new insight and um, told him about how humankind and finally convinced him to like chill out a little bit. Um, Even knowing they were supposed to be one, I always thought of them more in terms of like a good cop, bad cop scenario. God's like this grumpy old man and Jesus offers an attitude adjustment. One time I did describe it like this. The God of the Old Testament is like the Rocky Mountains, awe-inspiring, harsh, and unforgiving, extreme, and unapproachable. But once Jesus came, the God of the New Testament became more like the Smoky Mountains, warm and inviting, approachable, able to sit on the front porch in a rocking chair, maybe share some apple-buttered toast. (laughs) I want to be clear, this is really bad theology. This is not accurate at all. Jesus says in John chapter 10, I and the Father are one. And in John 14, anyone who that's seen me has seen the Father. I'm in the Father, the Father is in me. The God that we serve, Yahweh, the Father that Jesus talked about, he has been the same from the beginning. He will remain the same until the end. He does not change. Jesus was the incarnation of this God in the flesh. It's so easy to read the Old Testament and feel like there's some kind of disconnect. This chapter 32, it feels harsh. If God knew they wouldn't be able to abide by the terms of the covenant, why bother? It feels like entrapment. I want to shift our perspective here a little bit. The song that they've just learned, that they just taught to their kids, and and if you have kids or have ever taught them a song, think about it. You know, you're getting ready for a Christmas program. Okay, this is verse one. Here's verse two. We're like, God is great. And then we're like, oh, yeah. The stabby part comes before the vipers. Like, can we, can we retry that? Like, this song was kind of their national anthem. They sung it. They knew it. It got into their heads. It was catchy. It was this long song. It's a promise. It's not condemnation, but mercy. I know that sounds weird, but hang in there with me. We know these calamities are coming upon them because they have worshiped other gods, right? Look at 37 through 39. He will say, now where are their gods, the rock that they took refuge in, the gods who ate the fat of their sacrifices and drank the wine of their drink offerings? Let them rise up to help you. Let them give you shelter. See now that I myself am he. There is no God beside me. I put to death and I bring to life. I've wounded and I will heal and no one can deliver out of my hand. The Lord is promising to prove how powerless these gods are. That is mercy. They turn to other powers that held no power at all. His mercy is revealing the lack of power so that they would cry out to the one who holds all the power. He could have let them destroy themselves. That's what judgment looks like. Handing you over to the thing that's destroying you. Mercy is exposing the uselessness of that in which you put your trust so that you might put your trust in what is true. Where have you put your trust? If you have any kind of Yahweh plus mindset, he will reveal how utterly powerless that other thing is to save you so that he is the only one you can cling to. Name that thing. What is your Yahweh plus insurance policy, that just in case he doesn't come through. Give it a name and then kill it. 
because he is the only one who can save. The God of the Old Testament here did not change, but a covenant did. When this was fulfilled, this old covenant had flaws. The flaws were not in the writing or the method, but with the people. So a new covenant was made, one that offered restoration and changed hearts. Hearts in which God himself could make a home and his laws could be written there. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 8, verses 7 through 12. Evan, it stopped working. You're going to have to help me out. Thank you. For there had been nothing wrong with that first covenant. If there had been nothing wrong with that first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. But God found fault with the people and said, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors. When I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they did not remain faithful to my covenant, and I turned away from them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, for I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. From the beginning, his goal was to dwell with us. That's the essence of the gospel. Divine, making its home among the ordinary and then calling us friends. But like the covenant that came before us, our, gods, our hearts must be set on God alone. Our allegiance cannot be split. We cannot serve Yahweh plus. Only then can we walk in true obedience to his word. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. Your laws are good. Your ways are good. Father, we are a corrupt people who are prone to wander, prone to leave the God we love. I ask that you would help us identify those things that we have added to our faith in you, that just in case you don't come through thing. Father, I ask that we would lay that down at your feet, that we would serve you and you alone, for you alone are worthy. You are alone are the one that holds the power. I ask that you would change our hearts and make them into hearts that long to follow you, that long to be where you lead. We love you, Lord, in your name. Amen. So at the end of our time, we have, we have discussion groups. So I'm going to ask, there's only one rule. You can't stay in the group that you came with. You can be with the group you came with, but you have to add to that group. So you can gather in groups wherever it feels natural to you, um, I am realizing, and now that I'm looking at these questions, that they're, uh, tell your stories, guys. <laughs> uh, have you ever experienced God's restoration? How does God's mercy towards you witness to those who don't believe? And what have you put your trust in that is in addition to God? Um, if these feel like too personal and you don't want to share with the person next to you, that's okay. Let the person next to you share. And then share anyways. <laughs> um, I'll give us about 10-ish minutes, and then I'll come up and close.